Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The following program is brought to you by the Preferred Home Team. Content is provided for general information only and should not be treated as a substitute for professional advice from your legal or real estate advisors. Welcome to the Real Estate Radio Hour, a forum of ideas, plans, and expert advice on all things real estate. Andy Prasky with Remax Advantage Plus was named Super Agent by Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine. Chris Rooney of Remax Preferred is a Lakeshore and Luxury Home Specialist. Together they cover the Twin Cities. And welcome to this edition of the Real Estate Show here on 830 WCCO. Chris and Andy back uh, in studio. Haven't seen you guys for uh, for a couple of weeks. Good to, good to be back. Yeah, and, how was uh, your trip? The trip was great. great. Good, it was yeah. kind of hot out there in Utah and Arizona, but... Uh, Saw a lot of uh, beautiful scenery. How is the real estate market here? Just uh, as hot, Denny. Just as hot. <laughs> I led you yeah, into it that. Just as hot. I say it's. I mean, it's just always slow around that holiday. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's kind of that hangover too. So hopefully this weekend's going to pick you up. You know, a little it's more. funny though, Chris. I, you know, I always look at a couple different factors, and one of them is the front end of the business, which a lot of times is our, I call it our lead generation tools that are out there that create, you know, new incoming. Um, people inquiring about listings and whatever. We actually had really good traffic over the 4th of July weekend and right through Tuesday, which was shocking because the numbers are up, which shows people are out there looking. I think that in you know uh, has a lot to do with the fact that people have time off. You know, Maybe they're at the cabin, but they're still thinking, you know, maybe we should look for a new place around our house or whatever. And so you do get that what I call shopping process started right now. So it is very important for people to have, if you are thinking about selling, to get that you know, uh, listing on the market now because you do get that uh, situation where if they have children, you're almost out of summer where you're going to not be able to get those people in before school starts again, which I hate to say, but it's yeah, true. It's true. And then new construction wise, right now, we're hoping to still get people in by Christmas if you know you really move fast. So, you know, the summer season is like like you were kind of saying it's it's right upon us now, and we're we're kind of in the middle of the dog days of summer normally. Yep. So a little slower. Or what are we going to well, talk about? We're going to zero well, in on a couple yeah, of things. Well, Travis Whitford with uh, Bay Equity is here, uh, fresh off having a, a new child. Yeah, congratulations, so uh, Travis. Like, oh, yeah. A little over a month in. Yeah, uh, uh, baby baby Jay, Jalen Hope is her name. Um, she was born on June 1st, so a little bit of a zombie here the last. Uh, <laughs> How's Mama? Mama's doing great. Yeah. Yeah, she's doing great. She's loving it. Yeah, I so, bet. Yeah, every, everyone's healthy and everyone's healthy and happy. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Well, we're going to hit on uh, something that we've never done, actually, on this show. What's that? And it's going on, what, Entertain eight people? years? Eight years, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, someone might like it. No. But we're going to talk about the purchase agreement. You know, a lot of what's happening now in the real estate market is a lot of times we mm-hmm. depend on electronic signatures. And I think the one thing people don't understand is the whole purchase agreement and what it really says and what you're really signing. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people, I mean, most of the purchase agreement's already filled in for you. And there's certain things that we have to be able to kind of put in there. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things that, you know, it's pretty, probably pretty good thing to know uh, before you purchase uh, and certainly before you actually close on a loan. Because sometimes the only time people find out about what's on that purchase agreement 
is right. after the closing. Well, you know what I always find, Chris, too, is that the um, no matter what side of the transaction they're on, when somebody does e-sign, a lot of times there is not the explanation given that there is when you're sitting face-to-face. And so what I see a lot of the consumers doing is when they're coming in, they'll go, well, I don't really remember doing this or talking about this. I'm telling you, even though it's an e-signature, you still need to read the contract. It's a binding contract. A lot of people are not putting the value on that. They're just thinking, oh, I'm just clicking away. You, you're clicking away. You got that right. And, and you are binding yourself to a contract with the terms within that agreement. Now, if, if your agents, like a lot of agents are, they'll put a lot of, you know what I call, feet in the door, you know, or contingencies that allow people to break away if they have to. But the idea there is that what Chris and I wanted to talk about was we see frequently where people just do not understand necessarily what they're putting into that agreement. So we thought we'd just hit some of the highlights, some of the things that we see frequently um, that, you know, people should address. And then, uh, and the other thing is things to think, uh, you know, about for being proactive, like even with new construction, like, well, how do the taxes work? Is it homesteaded? Is it non-homesteaded? What, you know, how do you, why should you care? You know, and those are some of the things we should kind of, that, right. And that's where the, the lender part comes in as well. So we're going to kind of take, you know, the real estate perspective and the mortgage perspective and kind of put it towards the purchase agreement and try to explain it in layman's terms. So um, it it starts out, obviously, as the buyer's names are on the top of the purchase agreement, and then it gets into earnest money. Yeah. Now, earnest money, you want to explain earnest money? No. Okay. (laughs) No, I, you know, the thing, (laughs) I always call it, you know, kind of a, it's, it's, it's showing how serious you are about the offer that you're presenting. And in earnest money in today's world is a lot different, I believe, its effectiveness than it used to be years ago. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, I'll put 10,000 down or, I'll put 5000 whatever the amount is. You know, usually 1% to 2% is kind of normal for industry for the purchase price. Mm-hmm. And then that's to show the seller what your intent is, how serious you are. This is the amount of money I'm willing to risk if I don't perform on this contract is ultimately the layman's term version. And when you're talking the feet in the door, there is contingencies that kind of protect earnest money. And then there's points uh, when we get to the financing part of it mm-hmm. that gets into, hey, that earnest money becomes hard, fast. And yep. if you don't close on the property – they end up giving that up. but Well, and a lot of times, you know, Chris, too, the, the other side of that is, is that when you are in negotiations with earnest money, just to kind of go full circle on this, when you actually have um, somebody that's locked into a contract and you want to let them go, sometimes the best thing you can do is sign a cancellation to release their earnest money so they feel unharmed. Even though you may have been harmed slightly, the idea is to get them out of the way to find another buyer that actually wants to perform. And so that's why when I say earnest money doesn't mean the same, uh, a lot of agents, even like myself, where I'll have an offer come in, if it doesn't work out, the first thing I want to do is give them the earnest money back, get that cancellation signed so I can find a, a buyer that wants the property. Yeah. Well, and obviously it's it would be turned into, and that's another part of the purchase agreement, where it becomes subject to the cancellation of a previously written purchase agreement. So in your mm-hmm. case... So if this deal didn't work out and you can't guys can't settle on the earnest money, mm-hmm. then it's subject to the cancellation of that that other purchase agreement that we're trying to give the earnest money back on, and now you don't have a clean deal on the other side. And usually it's it's a fight because there's somebody wants to retain the earnest money because they feel they were wronged, but yet they still want to keep that money and sell it to somebody else. And so that's you know ultimately what's happening there versus the you know cut bait and go. How have purchase, and I'm glad you guys are doing this, how, how have purchase agreements changed since you guys started in the big, oh, big time? I don't know if you remember this, but I, I actually had my mom in um, yeah. at one time. Yeah. And it literally was like a little purchase order. I mean, and they just wrote everything in. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like a half of a page, half of an eight and a half by 11 yeah. is what that purchase agreement was. Oh. When I first got into the business, it was three pages. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, just on the, I and mean, it just was on the main. Written in stone. And, uh, <laughs> 
The stone tablets. It, it was it was an old it was a long time ago when he started. Those abacuses were hard. Yeah. But no, but uh, you know what's funny is that it, it's not funny, but you know even when I got started, I think there was nine pages in the purchase agreement. You know, and it was all triplicate copy, which. You know, to be honest with you, you get ahead and then you go backwards, right? So, like, right now there's times where we're sitting there trying to be all digital, but then you don't have a printer or you don't have the ability to e-sign. Having a triplicate copy sitting right there gets the deal done on the spot, in their face, presenting the offers. I mean, I actually desire in, – in, in a, in a, just because I'm a powerful – I shouldn't say powerful. I like to get stuff done. So I, I power my way through the, the – uh, let's, you know, present the offer. Let's get it signed. Let's agree to it or move forward. And so for me, I used to love having triplicates because I'd say, hey, can I present this offer to your sellers face-to-face? A lot of times the selling agents would say, great. They'd sit down. We could right there representing my buyers, present to the sellers. We could get stuff signed right on the spot, get the terms. I could also understand what their motivations are so I can go back to my client and say, hey, they really don't mind the closing date being here because they're doing this. And so we had a little more of a communication chain there. Nowadays, when everything is e-signed, I feel like there's that brick wall between us and you're always guessing. So you're lobbing things over the brick wall back and forth and then the communication chain gets broken. And then, so people get upset about the silliest things that, that used to be no big deal. Yeah. I would imagine that's true. Yeah. I'll tell you though. I mean, I think the changes in the purchase agreement are, are welcome too. I mean, we, we get a lot more paper, but I'll tell you what, it, it definitely solidifies what's happening in the agreement. Whereas before it was a little vague. And so, yeah, I think it's important. What would um, you say right now, Chris, for the listeners, what would you say your average purchase agreement, how many pages would you say now compared to when you started? I've got one pulled up right here that's 26 pages, but I had one that was 48 pages. Yeah, that's wow. my new construction PAs. By the time we're done with association docs, covenances, yeah, they're they're almost 50 pages. Yeah. People go wow. crazy when you sit down and there's an inch thick of paper, you know. Well, that comes to the lending papers too. I mean, when you're securing a loan now, I mean – you're signing. <laughs> there's things you're signing that you're, you know, you're verifying that you are Chris Rooney and that, uh, you know, I have seven different aliases and <laughs> I mean it's crazy. What you yeah, have to sign. yeah. There's that name affidavit and anytime like, uh, however your your credit was pulled under a name variation, it kind of shows up on your credit report. So you gotta, you know, confirm I am all of these people and all it takes is. You know, somebody at Macy's when you're applying for a credit card to, you know, spell your name wrong and all of a sudden you got this weird name that you're also known as. Um, it, uh, it can get a little, yeah. get a little interesting. Kind of, what? Yeah, I never like, did Who's this. this? And, it's, huh? it's, and it's not necessarily that you did it. It's just someone yeah. else maybe inputted it wrong. Yep. Tell you what, let's take a break. We have more show to come here, the Real Estate Show, here on 830-WCCO. Stay with us. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And welcome back to this portion of the Real Estate Show here on 830-WCCO. Chris and Andy are uh, talking about, among other things, about the the purchase agreement. I think this is interesting Mm because as a civilian, not a real estate agent, I don't know. I, I I remember when there was one or two pages, right. and now you guys said well, it could be great. as many as fifty. Yep. right. Pages <laughs> That's on the crazy. Room. What else can we talk you know, about? We, were, we we almost got to line ten <laughs> on that, but it is it's important. I mean, we can we could talk probably about earnest money the whole yeah. show, sure. you know. But I think from a lender perspective on earnest money, what is the one thing that you're looking for from the earnest money perspective? Well. First thing, sometimes a lot of times, um, first time home buyers question, you know, really what is earnest money? And, and some of them 
think it's uh, a reduction of the purchase price. You know, so if you got two thousand dollars with the Vernus money and you're buying it for two hundred, they're kind of buying it for one ninety eight. But you know, earnest money is is essentially just a prepayment of your your, your closing costs, your cash to close. So it just mm-hmm. reduces your overall cash to close. But but lend, what lenders are looking for is making sure that earnest money um, come from you, you know, or doesn't come from an unacceptable source. Um, unacceptable sources are cash advances off credit cards, cash deposits because they can't be tracked on where they came from, um, money from myself or the real estate agent or the seller that is kind of giving them the earnest money. So so yeah, really we just got to do our due diligence to make sure that the money is yours or came from an acceptable source. Um, gift funds isn't acceptable if you got money from a family member or something. That's that's totally fine for earnest money, but but it's just the unacceptable source thing is really what we got to look out for. Okay, yeah, and then we move into the address and then the legal description. Legal description is really important to get in there mm-hmm. and have it right. The lender wants that as well. Um, where do you verify that? Where through the county? Okay, you know that's and where. The, you and should. the mailing address, where do you verify that? Uh, post, office. post office. There you go. Oh. All right, boys. Wow, we're getting a test of gear. Anyways, you uh, want to go line by line, know, pal, personal, so. uh The property, um, any attached property that comes with the property, I think this is where a lot of people get mixed up, yeah. and I think realtors do too, because these purchase agreements change and they get updated. Mm-hmm. Then people kind of forget about them. Like speakers is one of the big thing, mm-hmm. you know, where people thought, you know, always before, hey, you had to ask for the speakers. Hey, if they're attached to a wall mount or a ceiling mount, mm-hmm. they're included unless otherwise noted. I always say, you know, the key thing is, is as a seller. If it shows, it goes. So if you have grandma's drapes that match your, you know, comforter that she made, get those out of there. Put something else in there for the, you know, display of selling um, or staging. And so, you know, if it shows, it goes. Because inevitably they ask for everything that you don't want them to ask for. And then all of a sudden you're negotiating over something that has nothing to do with real estate and everything to do with, you know, personalities and, you know, you know lawn furniture, lawnmowers. I mean, you start seeing all kinds of crazy stuff. So I always say, get it out of there. Then they don't know to ask for it. Or what I've also done in the past too, like with with uh, like a water softener, for example, you put on there that it's rented or something like that, so that they don't ask for it. You know, or yeah, or let them know. If you let, I've found that if you let buyers know ahead of time, mm-hmm. then when they're looking at it, they say, oh yeah, that's not included, and they don't get personally attached to it. Right. Versus coming in there and then, it's, oh my god, I love how this is yeah. decorated and everything, and then it's on the purchase agreement, and then they come back and say, oh, that's not included. Mm-hmm. That it does. It it becomes like a thing that no, that's what we want that right one hundred percent, or else the house is not worth it. It's well, crazy. you know, and you look at that even like with builders with new construction, these guys and gals are out there decorating these models so unbelievably that they actually make the house have a different dynamic to it, almost where it feels like a whole different house. And back in the day, I know Rotland uh, isn't around anymore, but they used to have their uh, Rotland homes would have the whole wall mirrored. And so the townhouse just would feel unbelievably huge. Right when I was getting started, I would run a few buyers to them. Like, God, these are so huge. Then you go out there and you move into their property once it's ready. You're like, what happened? This thing is tiny. So, you know, but anyway. Just remember on anything that's attached typically stays with the house. If it can be moved, you need to ask for it. So, you know, there's like refrigerator. Refrigerator just doesn't come with it. If it's built in, then it comes with it. But if it can be moved, you have to ask for it. When in doubt, so, spell it out. That's what I always say, too. All go. these one-liners I got. Well, and then the other thing is on personal property from a lender perspective, they don't want to see that. Yeah, well, with uh, personal property from a lending perspective, it's, it's all about what's, you know, customary, you know. So it's like, you know, the stove, the fridge, the drapes, 
you know, the built-in stuff, those are customary. Where, where you start getting problems when you start adding other personal property. It's like, hey, I want this couch you guys got. Hey, I want this pool table. You know, you, you're buying a house that has a couple acres of land, and, you know, I also want the uh, riding lawnmower. And when those types of personal property are written into the contract, lenders don't like that. You either got to get it, you got to get those items removed, or what they're going to do is they're going to try and estimate the value of those assets, you know, the pool table or whatever, and then they're going to make you drop the price by that much. So you have to bring that much extra dollars to to closing to compensate for those. So, so you know, be careful with what type of personal property is is listed in the uh, in well, the agreement. Isn't that because the banks like their ratios? They like their eighty twenty ratios, and and personal property can throw it's, those numbers off. Well, no, it's just um, you know. Personal property of value that's not customer at the house, they just don't want in the in the contract. So it's just it's just the normal built-ins, the fridge, the stoves, the drapes, you know, the chandeliers, you know, whatever. Any of that other personal property that's mm-hmm. additional value, it just it can't be part of the real estate. Well, or you take that personal property in, and then the day you close on the house, you cash it out, and there's ten thousand dollars worth of personal items that you just sold as part of the sale, and it's it you know just you can see where the fraud yeah. lay in there. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay, then it comes the actual price and the financing part of it and how you're going to pay for it. And I think that's an interesting um, little piece because this is where, I mean, obviously when it comes to like financing contingencies at the end, uh, when it, when everything all shakes out, what they're going to do is go back to page one, line 38, and say, hey, you know, 10% down and you're financing 90%. So now if you come back and say, you know what, I can't qualify because I don't have the 10% down. You could be at risk of losing your earnest money and or being sued to perform. Could be at risk, but from my experiences with that part, the the, the big hot topic is changing financing type. So if you make your offer as okay. conventional and then like a week later, you know, like, oh, I got to go FHA, you know, now people start getting a little bit squirrely, you know, what's going on. Well, um, I, and I, we may not have accepted your offer. I mean, that's the key thing is that a lot of people don't, well, why, how do you care? Why do you care if I finance it a certain way? That might be part of the seven things, 12 things we look at on that offer that we may want to counter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from my experiences, like if, you know, somebody initially says, you know, 10% down and maybe they go to five or, you know, 10 or more, it's typically not a big deal. But, you know, the the, the type of loan that you're getting, that changes. And then, yeah, people get people get restless. Yeah. Well, and Andy, that happens a lot more than uh, you think, too. Yeah. You know, people come in and say, you know what, I can do it. And this is what I'm going to do it based on conventional. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, a month later, they're like, their credit scores went down and they have to switch over to FHA. Right. Well, it changes the whole, I mean, well, dynamics I if, they, if you have a house that maybe needs right. a little work. And if they came in FHA and they had down payment assistance and the whole thing and you accepted the offer with that, and then the appraisal doesn't come in, you know, the way you want it or whatever, and now you come back to where you go to conventional financing. Most people don't have a, uh, a problem going to conventional because there's more options. There's more, you know, leniency there on the appraisals and the inspections and all that other stuff. So they can usually get it approved, but your your credit ratings have to be higher. Your deposits usually have to be a little bit, you know, uh, more in line with what the banks want to see. But anyway, there's lots of options. Yep, absolutely. All right, what are we thinking? Break time? I think we should, uh, well, let's do that. Let's okay. take a break and we'll, we'll be back with uh, more. Here on CCO, more of the Real Estate Show. Hope you stay with us here on 830-WCCO.
And welcome back to this portion of the Real Estate Show here on A3OWCC. If you're just joining us, we're talking about uh, purchase agreements, kind of dissecting what the heck that uh, that piece of paper or pieces of paper. Yeah, we're halfway is. through and we're on page two. We just got to That's page it. two. That's it. Wow. But it's, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> I think, I mean, truly, we could have this series go throughout the whole year because, I mean, there is. Each little section, there's so much involved in each little thing. But hopefully we can kind of shed a little light yeah, let's hear, let's hear some more. Yeah, So uh, page two starts out with the sale of the buyer's property contingency. So there's really three choices that are involved here. Number one, that you need to sell your house to be able to buy this one. Mm-hmm. Number two, that you've already sold your house, but you need it to close to buy this one. Mm-hmm. Or number three, there is no contingency and I don't need to sell the other one in which to be able to buy this one. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I'm glad this got modified. It was a year or two ago they modified this. You were talking about this a couple of years ago. Yeah, before it, it happened, it, it was it was an issue because everybody said, "Well, I'm non-contingent." Well, yep. well, but I'm like, "Is there anything that has to happen?" Before? Well, yeah, that house over there has to successfully close. But I already sold it, right? And, and the then so there I read was, that that was fine. That's how you said it, but it wasn't correct. really true, right? And then and so what I would do is I would literally, you know, personally, I know a lot of other agents do the same thing. They would dig in a little deeper and say, "Okay, so if that doesn't close, then technically you're not going to perform with us," correct? Okay, so then we're going to make you guys put $10,000 down, earnest money. It goes hard the day that we do this, and then regardless if you perform or not, we keep your money. And then all of a sudden you see them, well, we better put a contingency addendum in there, and then, and then which is fine. Yeah, yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is what happens sometimes with lenders, too, is that let's just say someone comes in and, and purchases the house that I have listed, and they can purchase it without selling their other house. Well, in the meantime, after they're already going into it, they list their house, and they end up selling it. And so then the lender says, hey, it's probably just as easy because sometimes you got to do a bridge loan the other way. But, hey, it's just as easy to let's just take the money from that house in which to be able to close on the new one. And then little problems happen at the very end. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, there is, it's not contingent upon anything. But by that time, it's, it's too late to kind of flip it around and go the other way. Yeah, I mean, if you got you know, issues like that that are coming up, I mean, you, you know, sometimes you run out of time. You know, to compensate for all those things, like if a bridge loan doesn't need to come into play to execute or this or that, or, you know, maybe you just, you know, have to do your worst case financing at uh, at, at, at closing because of issues with selling your other house. So just to get it and then, you know, worry about uh, doing some sort of, um, you know, reamortization of uh, or modification of like the current loan after closing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, but that, those are just little different things that can kind of come up. Andy, Andy's point before about the whole earnest money thing and giving, uh, you know, the money back so you can get a cancellation of the mm-hmm. purchase agreement. That's the next part that talks on line 62 is that whether it is or is not subject to cancellation of another purchase agreement on the house. Mm-hmm. There's a, many circumstances that that can be used um, from a buyer standpoint. It's possible that the buyer has a purchase agreement that they've made an offer on another place, you know, that was accepted. It might be in the inspection period. They find another house. They say, hey, we want this one, but we need to get out of that one before this one's valid. Yeah. That's that's one way. It's unusual to be able to get that. Mm-hmm. Another one is is that uh, if you go look at a house that's uh, subject to the contingency of another home selling, mm-hmm. you know, that's on there, so a contingent deal, you can go in there and say, hey, we want to be able to buy that house. Mm-hmm. Well, it's subject to the cancellation of the seller getting out of that other purchase agreement. Right. So well, let's flip around one. for my seller. So my seller now has a contingent offer that's in place. And we get a backup offer that's ten thousand dollars higher. Uh, let's talk through the scenarios of why you may not want to be contingent because your seller might bump you, for an example, or not you know uh, re- accept your removal of contingency. 
And can you talk about that, Chris? I mean, how do you feel um, to protect yourself as a buyer, too? You may not want to be contingent. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. When, if you really want it. Talking about the history of purchase agreements, and the contingency addendum is one thing that has switched mm-hmm. dramatically and with a small thing that I don't think a lot of people notice. And what it states in there is that if I'm buying that house and then you give me notice, so that seller's giving uh, the the old buyer notice because he's got a new buyer that's coming in, okay? He gives them notice. What the addendum states now is that the only way that they can make the deal good is that if they give them a valid purchase agreement free of all contingencies except financing. So their backup house needs to be sold and no inspection on it to be able to hand that over to them, and then it's their house. Mm-hmm. But anything other than that, so let's just say, you know what? Oh, I'm just kidding. I can qualify, and I can do a loan. The seller does not have to accept that Correct. anymore, whereas before, they used to have to accept that. See, and we used to see that a lot, Denny, with new construction, where you'd have the builder have the model, and then the model every six months would go up ten or 15000 So the builders didn't really care. They'd take a contingent offer, hoping somebody would come along and come in with a higher offer and bump you. And we started seeing that a little bit here with with um, as markets change, you know, but it's like I said, we're getting that slow a summer kind of right now. I know new construction's cooled off the last couple of months, too, where we've seen where it's it's not as hot. You'll see in the paper now in a couple of weeks here where they're saying that new construction's a little slower, but that that's normal. Right. So um, anyway, yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people say, hey, as a seller, you don't in this kind of market, you don't ever want to accept a contingent offer. Mm-hmm. And I, I say that's wrong. Right. I mean, there's there's a lot of circumstances that you might. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think sometimes houses start getting, um, uh, a, I don't know, not an attitude, but a reputation mm-hmm. that there's something wrong with it. Well, if you accept a contingent offer, somebody out there has proven that, hey, this house, there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. And that might get that other buyer to come in and grab it as well. Well, we've had some of our listings where they, they list and the day after it lists, an offer comes in 10000 under and they want closing costs on top of that. And so all of a sudden you're looking at the nets, almost 20000 15000 less in asking. And they're like, well, take it. We're going to, we're moving on to the next one. And I, I always tell my sellers, I say, that's your decision to make. This might be the last offer you ever see. Or this might be one of many. There's no, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you. So what we always say is, you know, um, the the fast and hard offers a lot of times, we'll just sit on them or let them go and then and ride the market a little bit. Because the market is is healing. And it is, you know, one of those uh, markets where even if you're a little ahead of the market on price, usually the buyers will come in and get you honest real fast. And they'll say, if you start seeing consistent offers, ten or 15000 under, that's probably what the property's worth. So... You know, it goes through, um, talks about what kind of deed there is. There's a there's a number of different types of deed. That's how you transfer title. Well, that's a whole nother show completely. Uh, maybe with uh, one of our title companies, we can kind of go over that with them. Yeah. But then there's real estate taxes and how those are handled. Now, real estate taxes typically in a purchase agreement are mm-hmm. prorated to the date of closing, meaning that the seller pays up until the date of closing and the buyer takes over after that. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as from a lender perspective, you guys have to escrow as well for taxes, typically. Yep, yep. And the escrow is always uh, going to be set. Uh, I mean, the, you always set up your escrow numbers based upon what month you're closing in relationship to when the property taxes are due. But like right now, like for loans that are you know closing in August, those uh, property taxes are due. Um, you know, in October. So w- when you close like 60 days or if your first mortgage payment coincides with the month that the property taxes are due, they're going to just pay those second half taxes at closing. And then you mm-hmm. set your escrow account up for, you know, to start for the first payment of April, May of next year mm-hmm. and stuff. So it, it, there's always a proration of property taxes at closing either 
you're giving it to the seller or the seller's giving it to you depending on, you know, what time of the year you're closing in relationship to the property tax due date. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think, Andy, too, a lot of people are confused about property taxes because there's like, oh, you got to pay them in May and October. But your May payment is really for January 1st till July 1. And then your October payment is really July 1 until the end of December. And so right. people get confused about that. And then when, so when you prorate them, um, even from a seller perspective, they could have paid them all off, um, mm-hmm. you know, October 15th and you're closing October 20th. Right. You know, they're going to end up getting money back and then credit it. Well, and one other that. one other thing we should talk about briefly, because I think it could be a whole show again, is the uh, having an assessing authority, like, for example, sewer, water, new streets, curb and gutter put in. And also when you have a $27,000 assessment against a property, most bank financing um, for the, the first-time homebuyer style with minimum down, Travis, talk a little bit about how that can be devastating to you as a seller because, you know, even though, yes, you've improved the property, now you have city sewer and water, but yet that $27,000 assessment, a lot of times, I mean, I know they've got hybrids now, but a lot of those products are hard to get you know, accepted by the lenders. Yeah. Well, well, typically, I mean, if there's like 27,000 in there, I mean, that's spread out over a you know, certain period of time, you know, five, seven, you know, 10 years or whatever. And mm-hmm. then like, so let's just call it 10 years. So they're uh, and 27,000. So you got about basically $2,700 additional year property taxes going into that. So lenders will actually have to qualify them based off of that higher, you know, that, that assessment included in the taxes and they just pay it you know, mm-hmm. like it, like wood for other taxes, but that can, that can be, a, I mean, I can, you know, if somebody's really tight and all of a sudden you got right. another $200 a month on your mortgage payment for taxes. Well, and, and some lenders will not let them assume those uh, big absorbent, you know, taxes like that, you know, or, or assessments, they won't let them do that. So then we have to go to different lending, different financing. I mean, I've had deals fall apart right in my hands as we're trying to sell the house because the assessment was not, uh, you know, uh, assumable. And the seller's like, listen, the benefit's going to the new buyer, not to me. These new streets just went in today. That new buyer is going to get the enjoyment and use out of all that, not me. The other way they look at it is the buyer comes in and says, hey, well, this was old and cruddy and you needed to replace it anyway. So it's kind of like tires on a car again, you know. But I'll tell you what. Let's uh, take a quick break here. We will be back with more of the Real Estate Show here on 830 WCCO. Stay with us. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And welcome back to this portion of the Real Estate Show here on 830 WCCO. We've been talking about purchase agreements, and it's been quite interesting. I had no idea how detailed a document that is. Well, if you think about it, yeah, we spent, you know, three quarters of the show yeah. talking about, right. and we just got through two pages. Is That's that- amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, folks uh, who are listening to the show, and we have a lot of listeners for the show every week, and we thank them for doing that, but uh, you guys buy and sell houses all the time, and you've been in the business a long time, both of mm-hmm. you. Uh, how, how, do, how does one find you? How does one find a good real estate agent, like, and I know you guys are, sure. but- uh, besides the email, I mean, yeah. uh, how, how do we look for you guys? Chris, how do we find you first? Because that's usually the most difficult. I mean, obviously individually, but I mean, find uh, individually. I mean, it is a lot through the Internet and yeah. phone numbers yeah. and mediums like this. But, uh, you know, find an agent. It's I, I think it's really good to talk to other people, too, right. you know, that have, have used that person. Um, a, a testimonial from someone that you trust, I think, is sure. real important. Um, but I also think it's really important that. You have you you have the ability to choose whoever you want, mm-hmm. and I always say, who do you want in your corner? Because typically, yeah, everyone's kind of charging around kind of the same, and there's there's some differences, you know, that mm-hmm. are out there. So I would look at marketing, 
mm-hmm. you know, um, experience, you know, and when I first got in the business, it was like youth and experience and yep. awesomeness, you yep. know, but experience, you know, it's doing many, many, many deals and having that experience leads up to, you know, getting your house prepared, right. And then yeah. keeping you out of trouble after the fact too. Well, trust your instincts. I mean, I, I think that when you actually call somebody, how fast do they call you back? What's their receptiveness that's a to you? Big deal. Yeah, well, that's how they're going to receive an offer. That's how they're going to talk to a consumer that calls off the sign in the front yard. How do they respond to you? What's the speed of that? Um, I look at experience. I also look at things like you know um, when you're actually out there negotiating. Do they act, does your agent actually understand what they're doing, or do they just have a marketing plan? Because nowadays, Denny, you see a lot of these agencies that are out there that they're just big marketing firms. There's, sure. you know, I mean, you've seen all the the stuff around town. I mean, you know, from ads to billboards to guaranteed sales to whatever. A lot of it's just marketing, and it comes down to when you look at what is an actual sale. Who are you sitting across the table from? Are you sitting across the table from the person that you know is is doing the big ads? Or are you actually sitting across the table from somebody that's a, a local professional that's been doing this twenty twenty five years? There is a difference. Because a lot of times these, you know, and I, I have a team too, but I mean, you know, you, you get people that are, you, you'll call and then all of a sudden you have the person that's only done three transactions. I don't know if I want that person, especially when they're charging me the same percentage that I could get somebody with experience. So what I would say is this, there's a lot of wonderful brokerages out there across the Twin Cities. Um, I, I deal with them. Chris deals with them every day. So does uh, Justin, our buddy here. And uh, Travis. Travis. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I even looked at him when they I said it. like, I don't no, actually, you're more handsome than Justin. Um, Dirkovich, by the way. Um, but anyway, so, you know, you come across it. I'd say I'd interview the agents. I'd interview the brokerage. I'd also talk to a few people that they've done business with in the past. Online reviews, I mean, yeah, they're important when you don't trust anybody. But, you know, if you trust people, I'd, I'd much outweigh their review more than just – because just like even something like giving somebody stars – well, what if they said, yeah, you were great. I'll give you four stars instead of five stars. But they they really liked your service. Well, how do you rank the stars? You know, those are things that I look at and use your – trust your instincts is what I would say. Yeah. But I also don't think, you know, um, from a – if you talk about a team standpoint, I'm yeah. like myself, I have other people that are with me that do right. things a lot better than I do. Right. And there's certain things that I think I'm pretty good at and that I can do. And uh, that's what – to me, that's what's turned real estate more enjoyable again. Yeah, is that I do all the things that I'm good at, and then you want to do them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But if you don't, if you got to go run this and do that and grab this and put the lockbox on there and run brochures over here and type up here and you know you can't possibly. But, but do see, that like all. you're good at negotiating, right? You understand things. You understand the business from the inside out, and I think that that's the difference, right? So when you hire a Chris Rooney, you know. Um, you're actually getting the experience. You've done this before. It's not your first rodeo. You use all the new current, like for example, marketing, all the newest techniques to hook the consumer into looking at the property. You you may hire that you know young millennial that knows how to do that, for example, or right, right. whatever. And and so you you surround yourself with a team. Right. Okay, that's I think different. I think what I'm saying is like the independent agent that actually is out there that's floating under the umbrella of a you know uh, perceived team that you know. It doesn't have necessarily experience, but like when, when they hire you, they hire you and you actually are the guy that goes out there. You're the guy that signs the contracts. You negotiate, you Mm -hmm. basically, in my opinion, give them a better experience, better value. Um, but that's just me. I mean, I've got, like I said, my team's great too. I I've got a, if you want to buy a house through me, you certainly can. (laughs) I would. (laughs) This is really nice. I'd be honest with you. I, and I've said this, we've worked (laughs) together now for almost eight years on CCO here. I would hire you in in a second. Well, 10 minutes, 10, no, a second. (laughs) And you oh, know, because I—that's what I'm looking for. Even like when I would bought my cabins and whatever, you know, I've always hired somebody that's a professional in the local market. Yeah, so. that you know, absolutely. I totally, I totally agree with you. And you know, obviously, I've You're said my north of the back. the north of the rivers. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, kidding. but it is, it is. I mean, that's who I send. I send them to is you on that side of the river. So, 
um, wherever you are. Where are you again? Yeah. Champlin, that hey, area. Anything anything northwest, yeah. north, that's fine. Yeah. And same with lenders, though, too. I mean, picking a lender, how do you choose a lender? Yeah, I mean, I think, it, like Andy said earlier, it comes down to gut. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. everybody knows a mortgage person. You know, you get your referral from your real estate agent that you're working with or, you know, your family, this or that, right. you know, friend, use this. But, you know, when you first speak with that mortgage person, I mean, trust your gut. Do you feel like you're getting educated mm-hmm. and uh, are they teaching you the process at the at the beginning? And, and, and I mean, like I've had I've had people, you know, tell me that. You know, agents have tell, told me that, oh, my gosh, you know, hey, thanks for taking time with them. She said she learned, you know, more from you in 15 minutes of a conversation than she has in their in the previous year of talking to people. So, That's awesome. you know, you just got to kind of trust your gut. I mean, and, and you know, obviously you got to compare rates and fees and stuff like that, too. And if they're not competitive, they're not getting the But ultimately, all those lenders go to the same wells for the same money. And so ultimately, it's yeah. the service that's provided and the, the rates and the cost of doing the business. And, you know, and, and if you want an entertaining experience and you're up north, I, I don't think there's many more that are more entertaining than Mr. Prasky. How do we he's get, got more analogies than anyone. How do we get in touch? Prasky. That's P-R-A-S-K-Y dot com. Yep. And how Chris, do we get hold of Chris? ChrisRudy.com. And Travis? Travis. 651-755-3086. All right. Have a great uh, rest of the weekend, and we'll see you guys uh, next week. Hope you join us again for more Real Estate Show here on 830-WCCO. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.